salvation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and Let me invite you this morning to find your sermon notes. Looks something like this. You can follow along as we go. Fill in the blanks, more importantly, to talk about it later. Pray about it and live the message that you hear. So let me begin with, with this, just a little question. How many of you would agree with me that life is sometimes difficult? Raise your hand. It is. How many of you would say that there are a few things in your life that you regret doing? Raise your, most of us. You always get a little, uh, little concerned when you watch a Hollywood movie and the guy is dying and he says, I have lived such a great life and I have no regrets. And I'm like, a bunch of baloney. <laughs> of course you do. Doesn't mean it wasn't a great life, but there are all kinds of things that we wish we hadn't done, hadn't said, hadn't happened. So we all have mistakes and failures and regrets. Let me share just a couple with you this morning. So I have a grandfather and every morning of his life, the last decade or so, uh, he would get up at 7 a.m. and he would go on his morning walk and he would pick a wildflower, a beautiful flower, and then he would go and, and he would give it to my grandmother. Well, one morning I decided that I would go with him and so I woke up early and, and I went with him and he picked that wildflower and then he went to his wife's grave. And there he placed the flower. And then he looked up at me and he said, I wish that I had done that when she was alive because she loved flowers so much. Regret? Not my story, but I think I can resonate with that. I don't know about you. Here's another one. I had a friend, best friend, talked to her about everything all through high school, all through college. And then just before graduation, we had a falling out. Terrible words were exchanged between the two of us all over some guy. Ten years of silence. And then we got back together at our high school reunion. And we realized how, how silly this was and how insignificant this person was in our life. And we hugged each other and we cried. And we regretted those 10 years of silence. Or maybe this one. Last night, I got, I got a call from the hospital. A friend of mine, childhood friend, we had grown up together. She attempted suicide. We didn't know if she was going to live through the night. 
And I thought about all those times when she would come over to my house and, and through her, through my tears, she would listen to my sob story about all my petty problems. And I remember that I, that I never ever once, not even once, asked her how she was doing <laughs> because I thought her life was so perfect. Regret? We all have mistakes and failures. And as we look at this classic story this morning of Peter, who had denied the Lord three times, and yet is restored, not only forgiven, but, but put back in his position as an apostle, we need to ask ourselves, are there things in our own lives that, that get in the way of becoming the person that, that God has intended us to be? Now, as we look at, at Peter's life here, this is after the resurrection. Jesus had already appeared to his disciples twice. And now he appears a third time. And we see Peter where we saw him three years earlier. He's fishing. He's out there on the boat. And, and just like that first time when he is called to be a, a fisher of people, he and these other guys, six other disciples, they're out there on the boat. And they haul in this tremendous amount of fish only because Jesus had told them to put their net on the other side. And there's so many fish that the boat begins to sink and they finally drag it into shore. So I ask you, why is it? Why is it that when we miss the high calling that our Lord gives to us, we always revert back to what is familiar? I mean, think about it. In the Bible, Adam, he goes into hiding after the sin. And then there is Jonah. God calls him to preach the gospel there to the people of Nineveh. He runs away, ends up in the belly of a whale. The prodigal son squanders all that he has, his inheritance, and now there he is alone with the pigs. When we're in isolation from the Lord, we so often find ourselves just like Peter. What we need to see is that failure is certain. And our, our way to deal with it is not in denial. It's not to go fishing. It's not to run away. And yet I've, I've noticed that pattern over and over and over, especially with people in the church. And as I look around this morning, and I see all of you, and you can just tune out now for the next 15, 20 minutes, because you're here, Right? But look at all the empty seats. Now I know people are watching at home, but so many more are out fishing or on the boat or in the mountains and at a ball game. And for a long time, I, I came to the conclusion that when people dropped out of church or if they were away from church, whatever it might be, I always thought it was my fault. <laughs> and I think, what did I do? Well, and sometimes I did do something because we all do that in families, don't we? We say things sometimes, we do things sometimes. So sometimes I've blown it, but oftentimes, well, you've blown it, or they've blown it. You know, it kind of goes like this, especially with people that, have, that are, are newer to the faith. Maybe they've gone through our God Connect class, or, or maybe they've taken the new member class, and, and they're so excited about this joy that they have, knowing that God loves them, knowing that there is the abundant life for all, all who believe, not only here, but, but in heaven forever. 
that God forgives all the, their mistakes and their, and their sins. But then they discover that this following Christ is not all that easy, that it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's a seven-day-a-week thing, and that it's one thing to say that I follow Christ and then another to actually do it. And it gets overwhelming and it, and it gets to be too much. Or maybe they hear the message and, and the law convicts them. It's like one lady told a pastor friend of mine, she said, you know, you preach every Sunday about how we should live the way that the Lord calls us to live. And, and I'd hear that every Sunday and then I would be sleeping with my boss on Thursday. And so I decided the easiest thing would not to be quit sleeping with my boss, but not go to church on Sunday. Well, my friends, regardless of whether you are the ones in the pews or the seats or watching at home or wherever else you might be, you're not alone. You're not alone in your sinfulness. You're not alone in your mistakes. You're not alone in your regrets. As the Bible so clearly says, all have sinned. You, me, everyone, and we do it continually. We've all fallen short, whatever that sin might be. We're like those sheep that have gone astray because we follow our own way. Even the most faithful of Christians, even Peter, the rock, does those things, says those things that we would like to deny. And so the question this morning is, is, is why? Why? Why do we do that? Why, why do we fail? Why do we make mistakes? Well, all kinds of reasons, as many reasons as every one of us, every one of you. But three that seem to be rather common to all of us. Number one, power intoxicates us. You know, Peter, he's a natural-born leader, isn't he? He's always the impetuous one. He's the one who jumps into the water. He's the one who thinks he can walk on water. <laughs> he has this great idea of, of who he is. Well, sometimes the devil doesn't use our weaknesses like we imagine to trip us up, but rather it's, it's our strengths. And he uses those because we think we can rely on ourselves and, and no one else and certainly not on God. And that's what trips us up. So power sometimes intoxicates us. Pride certainly can blind us. It does for Peter. Remember the first charcoal fire? Only a couple of weeks before this, he is outside of Caiaphas's house. Jesus' trial is going on. And then some, some lady comes up to, to Peter and she said, hey, hey, weren't you one of those guys? Oh, no, not me. Don't even know the man. Well, your accent. You're a Galilean. No, 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 never, never seen him before in my life. Finally, a third time, and he denies that he knows Jesus even with an oath. Sometimes the, the pressure gets to be too much. It overwhelms us trying to live this Christian life, and it's just, it's just way too much, and we just give in. 
And isn't that true? Isn't temptation always there? <laughs> always. In the world, in our culture, telling us to do something different, our own flesh, telling us to follow our own way. And so failure is absolutely certain. The Bible tells us over and over and over again, and yet the overwhelming message of the Bible is that grace is also available. It's the message of salvation to God's people. The entire Old Testament, God says do this, the people go the other way. God says do this, they go the other way. God says do this, they go the other way. God restores them. He forgives them. He goes after them like the shepherd after the sheep, and they still go the wrong way over and over and over again. God so loved the world, that, that famous passage that he gave his only son. Why? Because you're worth it. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are worth it. Can you do that? You're worth it. You are worth it. You are worth God sacrificing his own son. You are worth Jesus going to the cross. You are worth the crown of thorns. You're worth the 40 lashes. You're worth the, the nails through the hands and the feet. You're worth the loss of blood. You're worth the dehydration. You're worth the pain and the suffering and the agony, even the death. Every ounce of it, every inch of it, every second of it, every moment of it, you're worth it. Yes, even when you sin, <laughs> even when you aren't here in worship, even when you're out doing your own thing, even when you hurt someone else, even when your ego and your power intoxicates you, even when your pride blinds you, even when you give in to the pressure of temptation. you're still worth it. Because wherever sin abounds, and Lord knows our sin abounds, <laughs> grace superabounds. It abounds even more because that is the character of God. Our God is a God of love, and he continues to welcome us and to forgive us. Now, to be clear, grace does not correct all our faults. If you're five foot tall, God is not going to make you six foot tall when you become a Christian. Grace is not going to cure all the cancer in the world. God is not going to make you perfect. You're still going to have those faults and those failures, and you're still going to make those mistakes. In fact, you may even make the very same mistake tomorrow and next week and the week after that. But this is what grace does do. It is God reaching out his hand to you and saying, let's start again. It's God saying that the slate is wiped clean. I don't remember what you did last week. Grace is God Almighty saying, I love you anyway. There's a great story that Max Lucado tells, Christian pa pastor and author. 
talks about his adult child, Jenna, who then was four years old. Any of you remember your four-year-olds? Now, they were not always perfect, now were they? How many of you had four-year-olds that would take their crayons and write on the wall? Anybody? Yep, yep. Now, when your 24-year-old does it, that's a problem. But uh, the four-year-olds, it's kind of understandable. They do these kinds of things. And Jenna was one of those. She would take the crayon and she would write on the walls. Well, Max wanted to be a wise father. And so she had written on the, on the wall in crayon. And he, he picks her up in his arms. And, and he says to her, now, Jenna, you know that you're not supposed to write on the wall. Now, what is it that daddy does when you write on the wall? And she goes, daddy spanks me. And he goes, what do you think daddy ought to do this time that you have written on the wall? And she said, daddy loves me, right? That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does for Peter. He, he builds this breakfast, this fire, this charcoal fire. And he puts on the fish and the bread. And he loves him, not only in this moment, but for all of eternity. You see, grace is not only available, but restoration is possible. And not only possible, but it, it is expected time and time and time again. And so we have this scenario, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter that we heard again in our gospel. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Just like Jesus had addressed Peter before he gave him the name, the rock, when he first saw him, when he called him to be a fisher of men. Then Peter kneels down after the tremendous catch of fish and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. Go away from me because I am a sinful man. And even after he had denied Jesus, after swearing that he never would that, even if all the rest of them, even if they all go away, I will never, ever leave you, even to the point of death. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, in, in light of all you've done, your denials, running away, your isolation, running from your calling, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me more than these, more than these other men? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. Do you love me more than fishing? I mean, that's what you were doing. I've called you to be an apostle. You, sh you should be out sharing the good news and you're fishing. Lord, you know, you know I, I wish I could take it back. You know I love you. I imagine about this third time as they're sitting there in front of that fire and, and I don't know, maybe the, the, maybe the wind changes and the smoke begins to drift. Or, or maybe it's, it's, it's one of the, the charcoals. Maybe a spark lights up. I don't know, if it were Hollywood, I would make the rooster crow, wouldn't you? I mean, come on. And then Peter, he gets it. He had denied three times. And now he's forgiven three times. And not just that, he is restored. And he has the invitation. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Become the apostle I've called you to be. And he goes on to do that. He follows 
Jesus again. And he becomes a pastor there of the great church in Rome. And he writes the Gospel of Mark. And he becomes the, the teller of the good news to not only the Jews but the Gentiles, a pillar of the church. This morning, as you hear this story, I want you to think about your own life. What are your regrets? What are your failures? What are your mistakes? Things that have prevented you from your higher calling. What skills and, and gifts do you have that God could use, that Emmanuel could use, that the church can use? Who are the sheep that you could nurture the lambs that you could tend, those young ones in their faith that, that you could help grow and mature. You know, at the beginning of the message, I gave you three stories of regret. Here's one last one to end on. I had a brother-in-law, his name was Bob. Bob dropped out of college after one year. He got a job. He worked for the telephone company back in the days when put up those big telephone poles and strung the cable. It wasn't his passion, but it was a living. He had to retire early because he had a heart attack. And in that state where he was most vulnerable and weak, in his pain, he, he reflected on his life. And he thought about what he really enjoyed doing, what his true passion was. Our grandparents were selling their house, and, and it had all kinds of old antique furniture. And that's what he loved to do, was restore furniture. So he took all that furniture, and he restored it, and he sold it, and he made a fortune doing it in his new job, in his new career, in his new business. And not only that, there was a, a 1933 Auburn there in the barn, hadn't run for 40 years. And he restored that, and then he, he took that car to all these antique car shows. It was kind of a symbol of his own restoration. Now, my friends, if people can restore old cars and beat up furniture, making them look like new, can you even begin to imagine what God can do for you? There in your notes on the bottom right-hand corner, there is a quote, and it reads like this. If it is true that the church is not a museum for saints, that it's a hospital for sinners, that it's a place for people who have messed up, fallen short, done wrong, need help, well, then isn't it a place for people like you and me? God has big plans for you. One day he's going to take you to heaven. I don't want you to be like those people in the movies who had their regrets. We know that our salvation is sure, and yet we don't know how much time we have left here. Get rid of those things that hang you up, the mistakes that you dwell on, the failures that haunt you. With the Lord as our shepherd, there are no regrets. 
There is no yesterday, there's only tomorrow. And there are sheep and there are lambs that need to be tended and nurtured and fed. It's my prayer for each one of you that you would find that ministry, that service, that place of leadership. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Take care of the church. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's all rise now as we make profession of our faith. This morning through the words of the Apostles' Creed, if you'll